Will you please be seated? Well, I'm a bit daunted speaking about this passage because the greatest sermon ever preached was preached on this passage. It was preached about 1,600 years ago, and it is a sermon that is read every Easter Sunday in Orthodox churches throughout the world. It's also um, read here, preached here uh, on Easter Sunday at the uh, nine o'clock service as well. It's a sermon by John Chrysostom, and it is magnificent. Um, But I'm afraid you've got to put up with me. Last week we looked at forgiveness, this week we look at grace. Forgiveness is about mercy, it's about me receiving what, it's about me not receiving what I do deserve. I do wrong, I deserve punishment, but I am given mercy, I am forgiven. And last week we thought a little bit how much we've been forgiven and how much it cost God to forgive us. Just look behind me at the cross and remember how much it cost God to forgive us. But grace is more than mercy. Grace is not simply about me not receiving the bad that I do deserve, but receiving far, far more good than I don't deserve. Mercy, somebody put it like this, is if I went out, if you came here by car and I went out and smashed, willfully smashed the windscreen of your car and you forgave me. That's mercy. Grace is if I go out and willfully smash the windscreen of your car and you not only forgive me, but you go and buy me a car. Let's look at the story that Jesus told. At the beginning of the day, the landowner goes out about six o'clock in the morning to the marketplace, to the labour market, and hires people to go and work in the field. He promises to give them, in the Greek, it's a denarius, which was a pretty generous daily wage. He then goes back at nine o'clock, three hours later, at 12 noon, at 3 p.m., and again at 5 p.m., just one hour before the market closes and work finishes. He doesn't promise them a denarius. Uh, He has no contract with them, but he does promise to give them what is right. At 6 p.m. at the end of the day, he calls the workers together. Now, many of you are in business, and I am sure that you would advise this person, this landowner, to be a good businessman who you know you've got to be fair with your workers but also fair to the profit line so you should keep your word to those who have worked hard all day in the vineyard and you will give them the denarius you promised them and you would give to those who worked half a day half a denarius and you would give to those who worked only one hour one twelfth of a denarius that would still enable them to eat something But he doesn't do that. He's fair. He gives to those who've worked for the whole day what they agreed and what they expected, a denarius. And he gives to those who worked for him nine hours, six hours, three hours, and one hour, oh, far more than they would have expected. 
far more than they deserved, he gives them a whole denarius. And when the first complain, the ones who've worked all day, he rebukes them. No, I agreed to give you a denarius and I kept my word. What I choose to give the others is my decision. It's between them and me. Do you condemn me for being generous? God is free to do what he chooses. And he gives us far more than we ever deserve. What did you do to deserve life? To be born where and when you were and to whom you were? To the family you were born to? You may say, for instance, that you've had a lousy background. But what did you do and that you've worked hard to get where you are? But, but what did you do to deserve the opportunities you were given? The intelligence, the determination, the initiative to make something of it. What did you deserve the lucky, do to deserve the lucky breaks that came your way? We're like those first workers, always looking at others. We see what they have, or at least we think we see what they have and are resentful. We think, why can't I have what they've got? I, I was talking this week, last week with one person who was very honest with me. He was telling me that he works with bad people who have got rich and that at times he resented the fact that he worked hard and honestly and within the law and he doesn't get rich. Which one of us has not been there? But it doesn't need to be as big as that. We simply envy people who have what we don't have. If we're married, at times we envy those with the freedom of being single. If we are single, at times we envy those who have a partner. As I remember reading what one woman said, you know, men are the problem in this world. They're a problem if you have one, and they're a problem if you don't have one. If we don't have children, there are times we envy those who do, and if we do have children, there are times we envy those who don't. We envy those who are rich, famous, celebrities, who we think have influence. We envy, we envy their significance. It seems that they really matter. And I suspect they, in turn, envy those who are more famous, who are richer, with more influence. And probably the person who's right at the very, very top of that, of that league probably envies the ordinary person and says, if only I could just be ordinary. When the people of Israel came out of slavery in Egypt about 4,000 years ago, God gave them his law. One of the summaries of the law is what we know as the Ten Commandments. The Tenth Commandment tells us this, do not covet. Don't covet your neighbour's wife or husband or their house or their donkey. Now I have to admit I tend not to struggle with donkey envy, but I do struggle with car envy at times. The problem is that envy or covetousness is destructive. 
It not only destroys our relationships with other people, but it also prevents us from giving thanks to God for what he has given us. It prevents us also from receiving all the good gifts that God will give to us. God has given us so much, so much more than we deserve. He's given us life and this world and the beauty of a night sky and the sun and the moon. He's given us each other, families and friends. He's given us humanity, marriage and singleness, music and laughter and beauty and desire. He's given us senses so that we can delight in this world. And so often we only become aware of how precious, what a wonderful gift the senses are when we lose them. He gives us the gift of freedom, which means that we can genuinely love, delight in others, lose ourselves in others and other things. We, we enable others to grow into the people God would make, make them be. He gives us happiness and glimpses of real joy. But more than that, more than that, when we mess up this life, God gives us new life. He gives us himself in his unique and only son. He gives us Jesus. And Jesus gave his life for us. And in Jesus we have so much. Somebody described grace by the initials G-R-A-C-E. God's riches at Christ's expense. Because of Jesus, he offers us forgiveness. We saw that last week. But he also offers us his Holy Spirit to come and live in us, to bring his presence to us, to change and transform us so that we become beautiful inside and radiant outside. He offers to set us free from condemnation and sin and death. He gives us the authority, the right to become his children so that we come to know God as our Heavenly Father, so that we can have intimacy with him. Uh, we can become part of a communion, a family which stretches through space and time. And God gives us hope. Hope that this creation will also be transformed because beautiful as it is, because we have rebelled against God and tried to live without him, it is now deeply scarred and broken. Nature is incredible, but nature is also vicious and brutal. Just watch a cat playing with a mouse that it has caught. And there is great deep injustice in this world. While some have far more than we need, others starve. But we have the hope that because of Jesus and the resurrection, there will be a new transformed creation. There will be justice. There is the hope that suffering will be transformed. There is a hope that one day that he will wipe away the tears from our eyes and there will be no more walking in the shadow of death because there will be no more death. What did you do to deserve that? To hear the good news, to respond to the good news? 
Was it because you were particularly, particularly good or religious or humble or worthy? You? Me? Don't make me laugh. We may think that we went to the market to pick and choose what we wanted to do, who we wanted to believe. But when we were in the market, we were like cattle, waiting to be bought and sold, waiting, waiting for someone, someone vaguely decent, who we could work for. The only thing we did there was to stand there in the market, hoping against hope that someone would come along and choose us. And as the day went on and as others were chosen, and we seemed to be left. I always remember at school, I was rubbish at sports. And they had that horrible, horrible system where you all stood there and the two leaders stood there and they chose you, who they wanted to be on the team. And guess who was nearly always standing there at the end? And they thought, oh my word, we've got to have him. Well, we were there waiting, desperately waiting to be chosen. It becomes more and more hopeless. And then when it's too late and all hope had gone, he came and he called us. We heard his voice and we simply had to say, yes, I'll work in your vineyard. The story that Jesus tells us here is not a recipe. It's not a model for good industrial relations. It's not good industrial relations in a world where we zealously guard our rights and we de demand what is fair for us. Michael Green, in his commentary on this passage, writes this. I love this. The point of the story is plain. A length of service and long hours of toil in the heat of the day constitute no claim on God and provide no reason why he should not be generous to those who have done less. All human merit shrivels before his burning, self-giving love. Grace, amazing grace, is the burden of this story. All are equally undeserving of so large a sum as a denarius a day. All are given it by the generosity of the employer. All are on the same level. The poor de disciples, fishermen and tax collectors as they are, are welcomed by God along with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. There are no rankings in the kingdom of God. No one can claim deserved membership of the kingdom. There is no place for personal pride, for contempt or jealousy, for there is no ground for any to question how this generous God handles the utterly undeserving. He is good. There's a lot of talk these days of karma. You know karma, you eventually, eventually get what you deserve. Do you know I thank God, that I am a Christian and that karma does not apply because God, 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 if I got what I deserved, if you got what you deserved, we would be nothing. Christianity has nothing to do with karma. Christianity has everything to do with grace. God's loving, lavish generosity, which he pours on us. 
If you are part of the economy of the kingdom of God, you need to be prepared to be surprised. Surprised by the fact that you are not the centre of the world. Surprised that God uses people who we would never use. Surprised by the way that he distributes his gifts by his generosity. Surprised by love. Surprised that of all people we have been called and invited to be part of his miraculous, glorious, grace-filled kingdom. And to him be the glory forever. Amen.